Wild. Time for start show. Drogo defeat audience! Your move silently and hide checks are successful. Good evening, lords and ladies. You have chosen your entertainment quite wisely. For you are about to experience the most wondrous spectacle in the great, venerable, and multiplanar empire of Valadros and the Wavens. I am your host proprietor, Romande Swarfinde, and I welcome you to the Twenty Sided Theater. Dancing lights! beloved audience, things are not looking good for my insufferable bastards. We have been at sea for the past seven weeks, and now we are all beginning to succumb to scurvy and dehydration. Well, you see, Father Maldreth and Master Shenouda have declared a war on foodstuffs, so they have dumped all of our supplies overboard and ceased their castings of Create Food and Water. Thrimlock Catherine is doing the worst of us all, sadly, due to his insistence that he drink only Sir Gnome's urine. Being a skeleton, Sir Gnome has not produced any urine in quite some time. But you don't want to hear about any of that, do you? You're here to catch up upon the news of the day. And who better to up your catching than Chip Dipson's Action Town Criers? What's the news, Chip? Thank you, Master Sorfinde. Tonight's top story begins in the aftermath of the attack on Ferdros. Sadly, no survivors have been found to date. Fortunately, no bodies have been found either, so there may yet be hope for those who have lost loved ones in this terrible event. The investigation was interrupted by a magic orb sent by the Emperor of a far-off realm. Here's the Wiz with more. That crazy emperor wants me to go south to some portal so I can fulfill my destiny as the Christmas maggots or something. I wasn't really paying attention. Whatever he said, I didn't write any of it down, so here's Engar Flamehand with more. He's like a hundred and a half years old. I am 89 today, my dear. The accelerated aging loop should have me at 80 again by mid-evening. And the Emperor named you the Crimson Magus of the Foreseen Champions, not the Christmas Maggots. He then asked us to find the portal of Pavos, which may be under threat from a terrorist group known as the Sisters of the Many, who are being led by one known as Kazalan the Hateful. Thanks, Angie. Well, that's all the stuff about the Emperor guy. Back to you, Chip. Thank you, the Wiz. Investigations are currently underway. If you have any information about the prophecy of the Crimson Magus, the Foreseen Champions, or the Portal of Pavos, please scry our news team immediately. 
And now to Pinky the Problematic Pixie for today's weather report. Hi, Chip! How was that? Did that sound professional enough, Adonska? You are doing well, Pinky. Just remember to look directly at the scry crystal when you speak, and not at the ghostly wound in my clavicle. Thanks, Adonska. Well, Chip, there's a sandstorm blowing in from the Goloth Desert to the north, so we recommend that everyone take shelter until the storm passes. Once we wrap this scrycast up, the whole team is heading into the crack of the walled mountains to stay safe. Back to you, Chip. Thank you, Pinky. A group of adventurers reported yesterday that the crack in the wall may be a more dangerous place than usual. We go now to our senior ecology correspondent, Hera Laris, for more. Thank you, Chip. Other than the attack on Trojros, the Golas Desert has been unnervingly quiet for the past five days. The Bandit Clan reported a day and a half south of the Oasis seems to have vanished completely, leaving no trace of their campsite. The packs of roving dire camels for which the Fire Sand Desert is most well known are all but extinct. One small herd of two dire camels was spotted yesterday from the great heights of the crack in the wall. Despite the collapsing web of life in this desertscape, the Formic Ant people seem to be thriving underground. More on this story as it develops. Back to you, Chip. Thank you, Hera. This just in. An alliance seems to have been brokered between the Formics of the Crack in the Wall and the Sisters of the Men. An adventuring group has been dispatched immediately to investigate the situation. That's all the news worth crying for tonight. This is Chip Dipson signing off. And now, a word from our sponsor. Lords and ladies of my beloved audience, recline upon your gilded seats, quaff your libations, and adjust your listening devices to receive the full, stereophonic, scryocastic selection of sounds that we have prepared for you. And please, thoroughly enjoy your evening at the 20-Sided Theatre. Having healed up and rested to regain your spells, you set out once more to find the far end of the crack in the wall. For about two hours, you make your way through the narrow, winding paths of the enormous fissure, but nothing seems to want to bother you this early in the day. The sheer walls loom 80 ILDMs over your head, silently threatening to crumble and crush you all beneath a sudden avalanche. Why is this place called Kraken Wall anyway? There ain't no ocean here, so how's a giant squid that eats boats supposed to survive for very long? Did you name this place, Pinky? Like how you're constantly claiming you're a dragon even though you don't have the armored tail with the little fish fin at the end or the little antenna dealy bobbers on your head? Leave me out of this, the Wiz. I've never been to this place either, and you're still describing lobsters. My dear, I believe you are confused. You must be thinking of the region beyond the Western Veldt, Krakenwald. It is a heavily forested area, and the rangers there all started as mariners, so they couldn't properly identify a roper when they saw one in the trees. They made their best guess and came up with Krakens, since they're the only monster with that many tentacles. You are both incorrect. Angar, though your experience is long and gives you strength, your hearing is short-ranged, giving you a weakness. The Wiz, you simply need to pay better attention. 
We are trying to pass a range of mountains called the Wall, and this is the easiest pass through the entire range. The pass itself is called the Crack. Like I said, after about two hours of travel and this type of conversation, you finally see the end of the Crack ahead of you. The mid-morning sun beats down on the strangely ochre-colored sand illuminating the end of the passage in an intense orange glow. The relative coolness of the crack gives way as you reach the inner ring of the wall. Give me some spot checks. The sun's light is refracting oddly here. Yeah, if you look down there, it looks like a solid plane of light. Like a mirror held just so. Well, at least it's not a hole. You know, I'm afraid of that every time I enter a new room that there's not going to be any floor in there. Like I'm just going to fall into the abyss or something. You have no cause to worry, the weeds. I promise to scout out old rooms for you. In fact, because I am a ghost, I can even inspect the floor support structures if you wish. We must press on, my action town criers. It is our duty to investigate this strange place and to bring news of it to all peoples we might meet. Indeed, tally-ho and all that. Straight on through the sheet of light and into the walled desert. The light intensifies as you near the edge, forcing you to shut your eyes and trust your feet. You make the last few shuffling steps through the sand toward the inner ring of the wall. With your first steps into the walled desert, the light dims a little, allowing you to peek out briefly through laced fingers. Oh, I, I have something for this. Would you all prefer to test something mechanical or alchemical? Mechanical, please. I think Hera has a good point, Dengar. Your alchemical experiments can be quite potent, but about 30% of the time they also prove to be quite crippling. We had best stick with the mechanical option, for now. Very well then. Oh bother, which pocket were these in? Ah! Behold! Flame Hands Flame Reducing Spectacles. With lenses made of pure gold, hammered so thinly that one may see through them. Oh cool! Everything is blue! Ooh, I know why that one is. Hengar taught me this during my first year at the orphanage. Boarding school. Yeah, that. The yellowy-green color of the gold absorbs all that color of light, so you just get mostly blues and a little bit of purple hitting you in the eyes. That's correct enough for our current purposes, my dear. We can now look about this walled desert more freely, albeit through a very blue filter. And look, we stand upon a gleaming, impossibly straight and impossibly flat road. And it's a broad road, too. This thing must be 30 units across. For those of you taking note, a single Riosian unit is about 853 thousandths of an ILDM. So the road is a little over 25 ILDMs wide. Hmm. The road seems to be made of glass. Detect magic. Yes, and its durability has been magically enhanced. Hmm. If I concentrate for a bit, then I can probably manadate these spells within a 300-year margin. And maybe your magic can tell us something useful, like who built this road and where it goes. Or you can look at this sign over here. I'm not sure what language it's in, but maybe one of you guys can read it. Nice spot check, Pinky. Thanks, Mr. Voice. Uh, Angar, you're the oldest, so I'm guessing you know the most languages of anybody here. 
What? Oh, I'm sorry, my dear, but I must concentrate on reading the energies of the spells woven throughout this glass. Perhaps Lady Hera can read your sign. She specializes in diplomacy and heraldry, both of which require knowing many tongues. I'm not actually all that talented with languages, Engar, but I appreciate the vote of confidence, so I will take a look. Let's see... Oh, this sign is written in giant. What does it say, Pally? I'm not quite sure. I'm still learning the language from these books. Uh, run, got, run, and got and Jane have a boulder. I know that the first word means glass, but I'm not positive about the rest. Quite correct, Dane Laris. But the particle at the end of the word shows that it's an adjective, closely linked to the word at the end of the sign, which means road. In the middle is a locative construction for the phrase, Portal of Pavos. Ah, I see now. Thank you, Chip, for increasing my understanding of the giant language. So, this sign should translate as Glass Road to the Portal of Pavos. I know that the last three glyphs are to indicate a distance, but I'm not sure about the construction. Garth and Dane haven't seen more than 12 of anything in this book yet. Let's see. Uh, giant numbers always require a little math. It's literally 4,000 strata, and one strata is about seven and a third units. And one unit is about 85% of an ILDM. Please, Master Disembodied Voice, do not interrupt Chip's calculations. Mathematics is the most serious of businesses. Here, Master Dipson, you may make use of my slide rule if it helps. Thank you, Angar. This'll speed things up a lot. Let's see. Since giants use a base 12 system, it comes out to 50 miles. What does that pensive look for, Pinky? What? Oh. While Chip was making numbers, I was just wondering who built this road and how they moved all this glass here. Well, the glass road seems to have a similar color to the burnt orange sand all around us. Best guess is that someone used that sand that was already here in their construction project. Here, let me sink through it to see how deep the glass goes. Wait a minute, Dansky. You got the echolocation? What are you, some kind of whale? What do you mean echolocation, the Wiz? I am a ghost. Yeah, so how's that supposed to let you tell distances by making songs and letting them bounce back at you? This makes no sense, though, is. I will simply descend into the road, down to the bottom, and see how far that goes. With my eyes. Oh. I thought you said you was gonna sing into the glass. You know, you just put your face in and go, Aah! and then come back and be all like, Mark 9, 7 fathoms. All right, ghosty. Now that we got that sorted out, go ahead and see how far down this glass goes. Adonska sinks into the ground, disappearing into the cloudy glass of the ancient desert road. He sinks down eight ILDMs, which comes out to a little under seven Riosian units, before he finally reaches the rough edge at the bottom of the glass. Hmm, such a feat of construction might have been accomplished by a wide and continuous casting of chain lightning. However, such a method would only produce a thin layer of glass on the sands, and what we have here is too thick and durable to be have been constructed in such a manner. This was probably the work of some long-forgotten civilization, 
that had developed a magical industry so advanced that it consumed their entire culture, leaving only artifacts. Yeah, this planet's got hundreds of dead civilizations that were more advanced than anything on the face of Rios today. I remember this one time at the orphanage. Boarding school, dear. Whatever it was, the lady who made us read all those musty old scrolls took us on a field trip one day to see a giant chariot with a huge copper cylinder on the front instead of wheels. And there was all these pipes all over it that started spewing steam at the ground when the Master Archivist used a spell to turn it on. Does anybody know enough about glass to tell whether it was made from the sand of this desert? Aren't you a psychic ghost, Dansky? Shouldn't you already know what all the rest of us knows? I suppose I could look into your minds, but this violates Action Town Crier Rule Number 8. No psychic invasions unless part of emergency communications in the case of a split party. Suddenly, a booming voice cracks through the air, cutting off your distracted conversation. here understands any of this. Comprehend languages. You have set foot within the domain of Kazalan the Hateful, radiant master of the Sisters of the Many, beautiful companions of the Crimson Mavis. Each step you take brings you nearer to your doom. You shall not reach the portal of to die at your temple steps. This hungering end business sounds very bad. You wait for a reply, but none comes. Hmm, perhaps it was one of those magical alarm systems. Everyone take three steps back. Excellent. Now let us move forward again and we shall see if the warning plays a second time. That, that must have been a live broadcast, because nothing happens as you step forward again. Well, in that case, I'm gonna skip forward towards my doom! It'll take fewer steps that way. The Wiz has a point, my Action Town Criers. Let us make haste, that we might make Rios a little safer, a little sooner. You continue your journey through the walled desert, toward the portal of Pothos. After three or four hours of silent, serious travel, the easily frustrated ghost of Adonska Rothgeld makes an outburst. Damn those idiots' eyes! I'm not an idiot. I'm just underexposed to the outside world. No need to be so defensive, Pinky. He does this quite often, but his ire and his chamber pot mouth are rarely directed towards any of us. 
Which idiots did you mean this time, Madonska? The ones who follow Kessel and the Hateful and worship some sort of ravenous conclusion. How stupid, selfish, or lazy does somebody have to be in order to devote one's life to the end of the world? It is not realistic. Oh yeah, Dansky. What if you're some sort of zombie or something? Then it's reasonable to be hungry and looking for an end. You gotta be more open-minded and see things from other people's perspectives. Cause you know, zombies used to be people too. I do see things from others' perspectives, the Viz. I am a psychic ghost who inhabits the bodies of others on a regular basis, including the bodies of zombies, and they should all just end themselves rather than ending everything else. The second option is simply greedy. That's quite correct, Adonska. The Book of Colored Emotions states that necromancers draw power from the orange spectrum whenever they raise undead beings. The sorcerer's greed for power twists into a different kind of ravening as it channels through the zombie's limb. Uh, hey guys, um, you, you might, might want to look over there uh, ahead of you. You're still about 38 miles from the portal according to that sign you passed at the beginning of the day, but something's changed. Hmm, that's quite odd. The road has stopped reflecting the sunway over there where you can see a blurred edge to the glass. And before you say anything, Pinky, I made sure to adjust my spectacles before taking a look this time. Oh, good! I was afraid that since you're 89 years old right now, you might have forgotten to put your glasses on again. Actually, the Thomachronal acceleration loop has just passed the point of initial departure, so I am a young and spry 80 years old now. You continue onward for about 10 miles before the far edge of the glass road comes into sight. How does protect us? What terrible thing might have caused the road to snap like this? Look at it. It's a jagged break, so it stands to reason that it might have happened during some form of conflict. I will sink, uh, I will descend to see how far the break goes. I'm bored. While the ghosty's down there looking through the glass up into Angar's dress, you want to play some clapping games, Pally? Thank you, but no, dear. As a paladin, it is my duty and source of fears to stand vigilant against any oncoming threats. Meh, suit yourself, Pally. What about you, Lobsty? You want to clap our hands and sing the one about Miss Mary Mac? She's the one dressed all in black. The one with the silver buttons all down her back? Before you can start your game, Adonska re-emerges from the ground. The break extends all the way down to the base of the road. Whatever caused this must have been very powerful, as Chip indicated. We need to press on. Pinky, Adonska, you guys scout ahead, and this time we'll follow 80 units behind you instead of 40. What are you guys doing? The wagon stopped its swaying, so I woke up. Uh, are we stopping to break for camp yet? Am I on guard duty again tonight? And, and then can we change the rotation? I am tired of sleeping in the daytime. Oh, good afternoon, Master Balbjorn. No, we are not stopping to camp just yet. We are merely inspecting the shattered edge of this 30-unit wide glass road. Pinky and Adanska are just about ready to scout ahead for our intended destination. Oh, sound is cute. I'll just sharpen my axe once Adanska's out of sight. I still feel very bad for what happened to him. You'll keep that thing away from me, axe. Now, I will just sink nose deep into the ground to help me hide, and I am ready for anything. Are you coming, Pinky? 
right behind you, Adonska. Just let me put on the old pixie invisibility. Pinky disappears, and the top half of Adonska's head begins to slide along the ground toward the edge of the road. When they reach the jagged end, Adonska's head suddenly vanishes from sight. He doesn't phase any farther down or anything. He's just gone. Oh no! Adonska! Pinky! Can you guys hear me? Yep. Loud and clear, Chip. But I'm actually on this side of the break still. I kind of lost my nerve when Adonska disappeared like that. Should we go in after him, Chip? I'm a bit worried. He usually responds rather quickly when you call him. Before Chip has a chance to make a decision, Adonska reappears, still nose deep in the ground. There appears to be an altogether different sort of wasteland just beyond this break. There is still a road, but that one is made of rough-hewn stone and not glass. Adonska, you disappeared when you crossed the broken line at the end of the glass road. Couldn't you hear us yelling for you? I apologize, Chip. I had no idea that you were hailing me. So, what's over there on the other side of that line of nothing, ghosty? There were some very sickly-looking dire buzzards uh, picking at an enormous tortoise shell. That scene, it was rather odd. Usually, buzzards will leave a carcass alone after all the meat is gone and the bones are bleached white by the sun. Then we must gird ourselves for defense before crossing this threshold. I shall begin by invoking the Triple Goddess's Blessing. And I will send up a prayer to Paldus the Bright that he may keep us alert, accurate, and safe. Dire buzzards, eh? Fortunately, I have a few extra files of Flamehand's Flask of Ferris Fetters. That ought to keep the buzzards from flying too far, in case we need to inspect one. Well, I'm already invisible, so I guess I'll sharpen my claws while I work up some acid breath. My psychic blade stands ready to defend all of my companions. Except for that X. If it breaks or dies, then good. Being at the dumpster, my axe will stay as far from you as I can keep it. Especially when I have cast a vampiric torch into the blade. Well, I guess it's time to displacement myself and bring out the mirror images. Onward, my town criers. We shall spread the good news to whomever we find on the other side of the portal of Pavos. The Wiz, Angar, would you two care to introduce us with a salvo? Of course, Master Dipson. Now, my dear. Do you recall your lesson at Trurge Rose? Of course we do, lady. We just had a point where that was in our hands. Uh-oh. Not sure I want to throw a fireball with what's in my head. Curry seems to have gotten into the juggling pouch again. Each of the seven whizzes brandishes a live toad in her right hand, while looping two balls through the air with her left. Oh no, indeed not. You do not want to channel your spells through your familiar unless, of course, that spell is triggered by physical contact with a target. How about you use one of those juggling pins instead? The seven copies of the Wiz each puts her respective frog into her belt pouch, then reaches deep into some unseen space behind her belt to draw out a red juggling pin with a white stripe. Well, almost all of them do that. One of them pulls out a white pin with a red stripe, and the last one pulls out a blue pin with a black stripe. Meh, good enough. You ready? That I am, my dear. Now, Adonska, in which direction do these buzzards lay? Uh, From where you are standing, uh, it is a little more off to the right. 
Excellent. So we'll square our shoulders to the invisible target. Yes, just that way. Now, point your implement in your more dexterous hand, and we'll release on three. Uh, on three or after three, Eddie? Uh, good point. After three, I suppose, since I'll be counting rather than saying the proper thaumatological formulatifications. Uh, now then, uh, one, two, three, fire! Eight balls of combustible gas streak forth from the party's magi, disappearing silently behind the magical curtain at the edge of the glass road. Forward, my criers, for the sake of all realities. The party breaks into a sprint, with Ox taking a quick lead. He screams his battle cry as he winds his glowing axe over his shoulder, very narrowly missing Adonska's face. What does that battle cry even mean? It sounds like it doesn't have enough vowels in it to be words. I'm not completely sure, Pinky, but Ox claims it means cold beer in Dwarven. As soon as you pass through the unseen barrier, the world shifts and twists around you. Since you're moving at speed, this doesn't disorient you too much, but it's still surprising to find yourselves on a weathered stone road in the middle of a barren, cracked landscape under a burnt orange sky. All around you, the stench of burning feathers announces the effectiveness of Angar and the Wiz's fireball artillery. Four dire buzzards tear hunks of bone from an enormous tortoise skeleton, tossing osseous fragments into the air to shatter and dissipate on the wind. The dire buzzards seem not to notice their burning flesh, but they look up and turn their gaze toward the party when they hear Ox's oncoming battle cry. Get it Make some spot checks. How does shelter us? What's wrong with those buzzards' eyes? They seem to be rotting and leaking trails of putrid goo down their faces. It does not matter to my axe. Get it Three of the sickly birds take to the air as Ox buries his vampirically charged weapon deep into the shoulder of the fourth. His spell flares to life, and you can see a pale white light flowing from the dire buzzard through the axe and into Ox. The axomancer's head snaps back, and his eyes open wide. Ox, you have to break contact or it'll kill you! I'm afraid he cannot break contact of his own will, Chip. Quick, someone break that connection. I'm not losing another friend. I am on this, Chip. I have been looking forward to the day when you give me the order to finally attack this treacherous ex. Yeah! A Donskin side blade passes harmlessly through the weapon, leaving Ox still in contact with the demonic foe. Uh-oh! I had better follow through then! Adonska continues pushing his manifested weapon through its arm, colliding squarely with the chest of the hungry dire buzzer. The blade sinks into the enemy, and for a moment Adonska's fist sits knuckle deep in the enemy's chest. The moment swiftly passes though, as a psionic shockwave hurls the buzzard's corpse away from Ox and Adonska to land in a crumpled pile 16 ILDMs away. Hmm. So the conversion factor makes that 13.6 units away from where our companions now stand. Uh, sit, I suppose. Ox, Adonska, are you two all right? We're still in combat, so you ought to pick yourselves up from the ground. I... I think I am all right. Many thanks for the assist, friend Adonska. 
Gladly, Mr. Belbjorn. Ooh. This thing, though, it, it still packed quite a wallop. Its, its mind, it was... It was nearly empty. And its singular, overwhelming desire was to end the pain of existence. So... These dire buzzards need counseling and a veterinarian to help them get over whatever's causing their eyes to melt? Almost. Their pain, it does not come from this ocular disease. Their pain, it, it comes from knowing that anything has the slightest possibility of existing. One of the airborne buzzards wheels leftward in a wide arc toward the rear of the party. It then dives beak first toward Hera, catching her squarely between the shoulders. Give me a ride check, Hera. Steady, Solstifir. Good celestial riding bird. All right, now that I haven't fallen from my holy mount, I can take stock of my injuries, because... Ah, that smarts. Far worse than it ought to. And does anyone else feel a bit of a draft? Uh, Hera? I think that melty-eyed buzzard is making off with a chunk of your backbone. And don't take this the wrong way, but anytime I see you not wearing your armor... You've got a long sleeve hide-collared dress on that covers you from chin to toe, so I never peg you as someone that has this many tattoos. I love the flowering, swirling patterns. What does it mean? Well, that would explain the draft. The writing is supernal, Pinky, the language of the gods. Not all paladins of the triple goddess elect to scribe parables and lessons over their bodies. Only the truly devoted do so. Would you do stop and take care of the things that are trying to kill us, please? I know they're in the sky, but maybe what do you consider throw something at them? Excellent thinking, my young student. Birds often avoid flight during inclement weather, so I suggest we bring them down to our allies' range with an ice storm. The sky suddenly darkens as thick black clouds cover you from horizon to horizon. Hailstones the size of a sheep's bladder begin pelting down over a 20 ILDM radius. That's a 17-unit radius in this world, Master Voice. Thanks, Edgar. The 17-unit radius cylinder of falling ice quickly forces one of the three remaining dire buzzards to take to the ground 30 IL... 25.6 Ryosian units away from the party. A second buzzard is knocked to the ground by one of Engar's hailstones, landing about a stride and a half away from Hera. Which is within easy range for my wall side. But first, I should quicken a casting of Detect Alignment. Oh. Oh dear, no, this simply shall not do. Solstifir, you attack, while my heart offers up the proper prayers to smite evil. Solstifir's taloned feet tear parallel gashes in the dire buzzard's wings, followed perpendicularly by Hera's gleaming scythe. The holy weapon of the triple goddess flares as it cleaves the buzzard in twain, crossing its entire wingspan. Hera says that these unfortunate birds are evil, and I trust her word. I had hoped that Paladus would reveal a way to heal these creatures, but he has yet to inspire me. Pinky, come with me. Where are we going, Chip? We're going to try to catch the one that landed over there with this birding net. Good idea, Chip! Here, I can carry you with my dragon strength and my pixie wings! Just ignore her, Pinky. That's a great idea. 
You take these two corners of the net and I'll take the other two. Got him! Now, let me just get my arms around your chest and let's go! Uh, I don't think this is gonna work the way you guys think it will. I think you're just gonna get Chip all tangled up in the net. Not if we do it like we've been practicing. Now, Pinky! Pinky jets upward, eight units shy of their target. At the apex of her arc, she lets go of Chip and flits over the top to his opposite side. This maneuver leaves them face to face with arms outspread, holding the net open as it careens toward the third buzzard. A black energy gathers in the dire buzzard's leaking eye holes, and a ray of chaotic energy sweeps up toward Pinky. Whoa! Pixie Dodge! Uh, do you guys want the good news first, or the bad? Ooh, I love the old good news, bad news game. If you choose right, it doesn't sound so bad. But if you choose wrong, it sounds way worse. Hmm, I guess bad then good. It's always better to end on a high note. The bad news is that the buzzard is now free, and its chaos beam just ruined your net. The good news is that Pinky is safe, and neither she nor Chip let go of their sides of the net. Well, I guess it's up to me to get that beeline buzzer under control. And the best way to calm anything down is a All seven copies of the Wiz move their hands as if working a loom. In seconds, they each produce a ribbon of colored light. The seven bands stretching toward the three beings who so deftly avoided being tangled in the net. The seven colored bands swirl and dance around the dire buzzer. Its wings fold, and it sits upon the ground, following the swirling, psychedelic patterns of magic with its eyeless face. Leaving it open and vulnerable to my shirking axe. Ah, no, we should help it. Get it Ox's mighty weapon arcs directly toward the center of the dire buzzard's neck, lodging in one of its vertebrae. It then discharges a storm of electricity throughout the bird's nervous system overloading its brain and shutting down all of its motor functions. I understand and commend your compassion, Chip, but you didn't see what I did. Those things were... corrupted. Everything about them was just wrong in every way. They are suffused with the antithesis of existence itself. These birds cannot be helped. Hey guys, weren't there four buzzards? Ah, yes, there were, weren't there? Well, the fourth one must be up in the sky still. Let me dispel the clouds I summon so we can find it. I do not see a fourth buzzard. Me neither. Neither? Well, not me. And I wanted to see all my mirror images at once. This place seems very dangerous. We should go back to the glass road and set up camp. Then tomorrow we'll go through the portal of Pavos, help the Emperor, and spread, spread the, the news. news! Spread the news! Visit the 20 Sided Theatre online at 20sidedtheatre.com. You can also follow us on Twitter through scryo magical links that Imanand and Thrimlock have established. You can follow the 20 Sided Theatre at 20 Sided Theatre, spelt properly with an R E. The insuperable Romande Zwarfinde at Illustrious Row. Master Imanon Shenuda at Shenuda Necroco. Thrimlock Catherine at Thrimlock. 
Issa Featherfoot at Lady Featherfoot and Spirit of the Swift Wind at Spirit OTSW. The 20-Sided Theatre is a joint production of Bear Industries and the Shenouda Necromancy Corporation. This episode stars Gabriel Abenante, Natalie Abenante, Blake Parker, Caridwin Quatrin, Kean Quatrin, and Rory Quatrin. With a special thanks to John Abenante for the use of Ox Balbjorn. Original adventure and story by Blake Parker. Script adaptation by Rory Quatrin. Edited by Blake Parker. Music by a new god, Ben Briggs, Titanado, Cubby and Jonas Dam, New Death Sensation, Patashu, Stephen O'Brien, and VCMG. For a complete list of and links to all the music and sound effects you heard on tonight's episode, visit the show notes at 20sidedtheater.com. While you're there, consider donating to the upkeep and production of the 20 Sided Theater. Subscribe to and favorably rate us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you don't, the Dread Evermaler, Queen of King of Town Hall, will conscript you into cleansing thereat keep with your tongue after the extravagant masked orc cheese thrown by her horrific majesty and Vrogel, king of town hall, king of docks, king of wagon, king of burning crystal, king of forget, king of queen of town hall, king of barony, king of axe, King of Prince Vrigel, son of Vrogel, King of Town Hall, King of Docks, King of Wagon, King of Burning Crystal, King of Forget, King of Queen of Town Hall, King of Barony, King of Axe, King of Prince Vrigel, son of Vrogel, King of Town Hall, King of Docks, King of Wagon, King of Burning Crystal, Sit down and shut up, Meat Sacks. The Father of War commands your rapt attention. You shall now close your eyes and shut your ears to the worlds. My voice will guide your minds towards the inner peace of Makar. Take in a deep breath. Hold it in your nose and in your lungs. Smell the blood of the fallen and the stench of burning peasants upon the air. Hold these smells in the nose of your mind. Now exhale through your mouth. Taste the coppery tang of your own injuries. Taste the bile in your throat as you catch a passing whiff of a coward's evacuated bowels. Open your ears to the sounds of carnage. 
Hear the echoes of weapons clattering on shields and breastplates. Hear the soft crunch as axe meets bone. You know not which side in this battle the louder screams are coming from, but that is of no consequence now. This is of no consequence because your part in this battle has come to its inevitable end. The battle is life, and yours is pooling out into the dirt beneath your caved-in chest cavity. The mace was unseen, but you know it was there by the marks it left. It is gone, as you shall soon be, but its effects will last a while for all to behold. You bear no ill will towards the mace, nor to its wielder. You would have done the same had you been half a second quicker. Now open the eye of your mind. See the sun glaring down into your grimacing face. You cannot turn your head away from the sun, for when you fell from your steed, you landed upon your neck, separating and snapping your third vertebra from the fourth. See a body pass between your eyes and the sun. The body above you is still living, still fighting. This is of no consequence, though. The body's movement is of no consequence. The body's identity is of no consequence. You are of no consequence. You never have been. But your memory may yet serve a purpose. Watch the sun's harsh light fade from the eye of your mind. Feel all muscles relax. Let the clatter and clamor of battle fade away from your hearing. Even the terrible smells are now growing distant. Let the darkness overtake you. Feel your heart slowing. Beat. 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 Now shut your minds and open your eyes. The real ones, not the damned mind's eye again, you dolt. Now you've felt a modicum of peace, that's all you deserve. You can rest when you're dead. And until you die, you owe 10% of all production to the Church of War. You may send your tithes to the Chapel of St. Turbulus, care of the Frozen Summit Crossplaner Bar and Grill, Scotalia, Yonathan, the Empire. You will tithe, or else the faithful of Makar shall take the Warfather's due from your fallen corpse. This guided meditation has been paid programming brought to you by the Church of War. Join us next time at the 20-Sided Theater.